So I was, you know, thrown to the wolves is one way of thinking about it. But there's this other side of it that I was getting an opportunity that when I spoke to other young pastors, they thought this was the greatest thing ever. To get an opportunity to preach 41 times uh, would just help in the development and the, the opportunity. And so I was not seeing the end of everything. I was getting providentially uh, this great opportunity to train and to learn and to grow. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. Joining me in conversation, pastor of West London Alliance Church in London, Jude St. John, former football player in the CFL. Thanks for making the time. Hey, it's great to be here and uh, love talking about football and the journey I've been on. Well, let's get into your story, how you got into football. I understand you were actually a, a hockey guy first and foremost, but uh, upon entering high school in London, uh, you uh, picked up the the pigskin for the first time. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. And even in high school, I considered myself a hockey player. Um, you know, in, in some ways, uh, football was something to get me through, you know, the fall months until hockey started. And so even while I was at Western, really until my last year, uh, if someone had have asked me, you know, what I was, I was said, I'm a hockey player. Like that's definitely my preference. So that lasted really right until the end of high school. And, and, uh, when Western showed interest in me coming as a football player, that sort of changed. I'd hate to be between you and the the boards uh, in, a, in a hockey game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so you, you get into football and uh, you, you play at, at Western and what was your journey like there? Were you uh, quickly a starter? Yeah, I, I was. I dressed like at Western as an old lineman. I dressed every game my first year and got playing time, which is pretty rare. You know, Western's such a good football school. And particularly at that time was a great, great old lineman school. And so to get that experience in my first year was big. And then, yeah, I became a starter in my second year, which was uh, pretty rare. And then, you know, started for them for three years. But all while doing this, you're you're studying to be a teacher. That's sort of what at this time you were thinking your career would be. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I was in uh, kinesiology. Actually, I was in phys ed. I was the last cohort that it was still called phys ed. <laughs> you know, ki- kinesiology sounds so much uh, more intelligent and professional. Uh, but I was in phys ed, and the idea was that I would yeah try to get into teachers college. My plan was to be a teacher. But football obviously has taken up a lot of your time uh, while at Western, and you guys are doing very well. When did it start to dawn on you that you could take this again to the next level? You know, if I'm honest, I was fairly naive with this stuff. And I remember sort of in my uh, second year when I was starting, one of the fourth year guys, you know, was like, you're going to play in the CFL. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I was I was out of left field. I had no idea sort of how that went. And then in my fourth year, you know, there's a couple of games where there were scouts from the CFL and a couple of my coaches had indicated that. But even, I even remember being at the, the combine and it wasn't like, this is what I'm doing. I'm a shoe in, I'm going to have a career. I, it was still pretty much, oh, this is, that's, this is interesting. Let's see where this takes us. Mm. But you're starting to, to really feel the success of what it's like to be on a good team. Yes. And in my fourth year, we won a national championship. And so that was pretty significant uh, in terms of, you know, getting a little bit more attention. And also, I think, maybe understanding that 
you know, I could play at a level that at least would take me, you know, into consideration for playing in the CFL. Now, Jude, a lot of our listeners would understand sort of the significance of something like the Super Bowl. It gets a lot of attention every February. Uh, but what was it like for you to uh, win that first championship with Western? And at that time, I understand you had a sizable crowd to take in this game, uh, one of the biggest crowds you'd ever had. Can you give us some insight into what it's like as a player to be part of a championship win like that? Yeah, and I would say, and we'll probably talk about it uh because I was fortunate to win in the CFL as well, that when you're playing competitively, you know, you've, you've got this goal of winning a championship. And, uh, you know, as is the case in competitive sports, most of the time uh, you, you end your season in failure, you know. And so getting a chance to, to win the last game of a season is something that is uh, always on your mind. You know, from day one of training camp, I remember in Western, and certainly coming from a good school, there was an expectation, you know, that uh, you would do well. And so you have this idea that, you know, we've got a shot and this could happen. And that would be, you know, hard to wrap your mind around in terms of what it would feel like. So, yeah, going down to uh, at that time, the Sky Dome, uh, playing what was in a lot of ways a, a home game, you know, for a Vanier Cup against Saskatchewan. Uh, and I think it, there was 29, 29 30,000 people there, which, of course, we'd, I'd never played in front of a crowd that big before. It was pretty, it was pretty spectacular. It was definitely one of the highlights of, you know, my football career uh, was to win a national championship. And that celebration, I mean, how, how long are you on a high after you win something like that? Quite a long time. Like it, it, it lasts. <laughs> I remember getting actually one of my profs was a bit annoyed at me because we, we play the football season. And because this was an even class, I had, I had missed classes and, and he was understanding about that. And then after we win the, the national championship, I'm still missing classes for, you know, celebrations and parties and whatever. And I remember he was a bit perturbed about that. Like he said, I thought football was over a little while ago. And I'm like, well, thinking to myself, I'm basking in the glow of this as long as I possibly can. <laughs> and so, um, you know, and then even getting into, um, being part of the player committee that, uh, would, would make the decision on what our championship rings would look like. And all of that process just sort of, yeah, it, it carried on for sure. And I, you know, I loved it. If I'm honest, it was, it was awesome. I want to fast forward to your time in the CFL. You get drafted by the Ticats and you spent a few years in Hamilton, but before going to Toronto and you play with the Argonauts and you do in fact win that, that gray cup, uh, kind of a long void for you that needed to be filled. What, what was uh, this celebration like? You know, I think the 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 Grey Cup after uh, ten years of professional football uh, was very significant. If you you know sort of think of your life, and this is how I explain it to people, you think of things that you wait ten years for in life. There's not many things that you wait that long for, and so to to wait that long, you know, especially when you know every year. You have the potential of being cut, of getting injured. You don't know how. The average career is maybe three to four years long, you know, and you're in your 10th year and you still haven't even played in one. Uh, to, to finally win that and, you know, as it were, erase that little asterisk beside your name, you know, hasn't won a championship, 
to race that was was so rewarding and there was a depth to that I think because of how long you know I had it had taken a couple of very serious injuries along the way uh, that to get that cha- championship under my belt it was like that one was more of a relief almost like there was a there was a burden lifted hmm. uh, when we won that one. Yeah, the the Western Championship. There wasn't that burden. There was expectation. We wanted to win, but it was yeah, it was a huge relief to finally win that championship uh, with Toronto. Jude, I mean, three four downs aside, what would have separated uh, someone of your caliber, your size, your unique gifts from uh, playing in the CFL versus being able to play in the NFL? That's a great question. Um, you know, I would say in, you know, there's a couple things. Uh, one, coming out of university, I wouldn't have been as prepared as, say, Division I players in the States. So there was best, ba- definitely a gap there. But, you know, I played with a lot of NFL players and played with NFL lo- linemen. And uh, I'm, I'm confident that I had the you know, ability, the size, you know, to play at that level. But uh, coming from Canada and things working out the way they did, that was that was a stretch. And I played with Canadian guys who made it down there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that probably the skill level of the two leagues is closer than what people realize uh, in the sense of uh, even guys who come up from the NFL are a bit surprised, you know, um, at the quality of play and other things come into play where because it's a different game, three, three downs versus four downs, um, you know, size, body type, um, those sorts of things come into play. What you'll see, for instance, for coming from the States is, is the players that, that come from the States, they're all Americans. I played with Heisman trophy winners, Heisman runner ups, um, national championship but they're guys who are are what we call tweeners right they might be too small uh to play middle linebacker in the nfl but they're too big to maybe be a db and so they would fill a little gap in the cfl that you know that's the type of player they needed and so when you look at the pedigree of the american players that come up to the cfl it's outstanding the universities they played at, the the recognition they got, but for some reason they just didn't fit the NFL mold. And so very good athletes, but a, a different enough game. So, you know, I looked for an opportunity maybe to try and get a tryout down in the NFL. And the first, the first two times I became a free agent, uh, in the year that I was becoming a free agent, I broke my leg. And so it didn't work out. By the end of the next contract, I had played nine years. Like, I'm already old, you know, and so it didn't really work out for me. But uh, like I said, I played alongside of a lot of NFL players, and uh, there's a lot of NFL players who can't make the CFL. They're not good enough to play in the CFL, and it starts to give you an understanding maybe of how that how that works out. Mm, interesting. That's helpful perspective. Uh, that injury and sort of your plans not certainly unfolding the way that you expected them to be going into the CFL is also held true in what you're doing now as a pastor. Give us some sort of perspective too as to where you were in your faith, in your uh, desire to follow Jesus uh, while a football player, while a student. How did that journey sort of unfold as well? Yeah, well, I came to faith in uh, when I was in grade, grade seven and um, 
you know, for most of my life have taken my faith seriously. There's been some, you know, ups and downs, some, some bumps in the road, but uh, have always taken my faith seriously. And, you know, I remember going to Western where there would be teams where there might be, you know, one or two professing Christians on a team. And so that was sort of the norm where, you know, I expected that. And, you know, maybe the, the challenge of faith and football was, was probably harder in, in university than when I got to the pros. When I got to the pros, because of the Americans involved in even the Canadian Football League, uh, there were a lot of professing Christians in, uh, in that league and coaches who professed faith and, team Bible studies and team chapels. And, um, it was, it was, I would say significantly easier in, in some ways to be a, a Christian in, uh, in the professional league, in the Canadian football league, as opposed to in, in university. But, you know, nevertheless, in, in both situations, uh, I took my faith seriously and uh, that was part, uh, part and parcel of who I was. And, uh, and so I actually found when I got to the CFL, um, you know, it was significantly, uh, easier, like I said, in a lot of ways to be a professing Christian. And you had the, the fellowship of other players, guys who shared your belief. And, and probably the biggest difference was I found that oftentimes in, in Canada, Canadians who are not believers, they don't profess faith who are not Christians, are, are skeptical and even some animosity there towards, towards believers. Whereas uh, most of the players who were from the States who weren't professing believers, they had a lot of respect for it. And so if I, if I was going to chapel before a game, there would be players who you know didn't profess to have any faith whatsoever but they would be quick to say, hey, you know, can you say a prayer for my grandma? She's she's sick. Or, uh, hey, Jude, remember me when you guys are praying, you know, that sort of stuff. And so that was a big difference that uh, even those who didn't maybe share your outlook or your beliefs or your faith actually had a, 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 a very uh, positive uh, perception of it. You know, Pinball Clemens is probably the best known guy that I played against and played with and played for. Uh, and he's a believer. And I can remember uh, when he coached me, you know, we'd be warming up before a game and he'd come and, and, you know, put his hands on my shoulder, look into my eyes and say, Jude, I prayed for you last night. Have a great game. You know, and I'm like, well, this is a great situation, right? Like to be in. So, you know, in terms of my faith in football, uh, I didn't have any sort of falling away in terms of the temptations that were there by the grace of God I managed to navigate that you know had a had obviously a wife supporting me and and through my career football had kids and uh, I had a strong church back here in London that was always part of what I was doing so I have very good uh, memories uh, connected with my faith and my professional career so you finish up your CFL career and you transition into full-time teaching. Uh, you land a, a gig in that capacity, but uh, God is grabbing hold of your heart in a new way that would eventually lead you to the pulpit. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, so l- let me just start. While I was playing football towards the end of my career, um, I developed a real uh 
passion for just learning, you know, theology and doctrine and preaching. And the way I say it is God gave me this hunger to learn about these sorts of things, even where I would be reading, you know, sort of systematic theologies or more textbook type things and almost asking myself, like, why are you reading this stuff? And I would say, like, you know, there were years where I was reading 40, 50, 60 books a year, uh, just hungry, hungry to learn more and more. And at that time, I was like, this is this is kind of a waste of time in some ways. Like, you know, the textbooks, the amount of time, you know, not seeing, of course, what God was doing. But then, as you said, when I finished playing football and uh, I didn't retire, they asked me to retire. And I said, no, I want to keep playing. And so they cut me. And so, you know, if anyone hears this, I'm still a free agent and uh, <laughs> you can you can you can find my phone number online. But uh, no, moved, moved as I planned into teaching and that worked out well because it was a difficult time to get teaching jobs. But I moved into a uh, full time job at uh, Saunders Secondary School here in London and started pursuing what I believed would be my second career and what I would do. Uh, largely for the rest of my life. And so uh, moved into that. I was a, a phys ed and English teacher, but I taught mostly English and really enjoyed that and still miss it sometimes. Uh, but after about uh, six years of doing that full time, uh, had an opportunity come up at the church I'm currently at, Westland Alliance Church, where they had an apprenticeship program where you could come and work at the church and be mentored by the lead pastor here for two years. And it was a part-time thing. It was very interesting to me. And, you know, the, the teaching was such that I could, I could pull back on the teaching and do that part-time and then work part-time at the church. And it was a, it was an opportunity maybe where I got a glimpse of, oh, you know, God's, God's doing something here in terms of your life and your passions and, and what you've, what you've been working on and all this reading and studying. Here's an opportunity where that could sort of come together. And, and so I took it. And so it was, it was interesting. Though when I took that apprenticeship here at West London, uh, I still thought the chances of me becoming a pastor were very slim. Uh, I had five kids by this time. Um, you know, the, the pay isn't, uh, as we talked about, the pay isn't great in the CFL. Pastoring isn't, you know, much better of a gig in terms of that either. And to start out at the bottom level of being a pastor and, and having five kids and all of those things, I thought, you know, this is a long shot of this actually happening. But re- really enjoyed that I had this opportunity to apprentice under this uh, pastor, Mike Wilkins, at West London Alliance Church. And so still, I'm still a long way from becoming a pastor. Like this is still not something that I'm seeing to be very likely. As it turned out, before I started my apprenticeship here at Westland Alliance Church, um, you know, we after we had agreed that, you know, I would be their next apprentice and, you know, I would work at the church, the, the pastor here, uh, Mike, Pastor Mike, you know, said he needed to meet with me. And, uh, and we met and, uh, he let me know that he had been diagnosed. He had cancer. And so we had a discussion about whether or not we should even pursue this apprenticeship. And, you know, things were really up in the air for him, uh, in terms of what his health would look like and, and what the next two years would look like. And, you know, I, I was game to, to, 
to forge ahead, and and uh, he was too. So we decided to stick with it. So I came here as an apprentice, and to give you sort of an idea of how things were starting to work out, you know, I was supposed to really follow him, you know, train under him, you know, interact and engage with him on a bunch of different levels for, you know, what it would look like to become a pastor. And after two years, you know, the alliance the, uh, uh, would ordain me as a minister. And so that was the process. But because of his, uh, his health issues, you know, for example, the first year of my apprenticeship, I was supposed to preach 12 times, once a month. And, you know, I would preach and get feedback from him and we'd talk about, you know, the sermon and I could develop that way. Well, my first year I preached 41 times. Hmm. Uh, that's how ill he was and unable to do what he needed to do. So I was, you know, thrown to the wolves is, is one way of thinking about it. But there's this other side of it that I was getting an opportunity that when I spoke to other young pastors, they thought this was the greatest thing ever. To get an opportunity to preach 41 times uh, would just help in the development and the, the opportunity. And so I was, again, not seeing the end of everything. I was getting providentially uh, this great opportunity to train and to learn and to grow. And so um, as we worked through the apprenticeship, it came to a point where, you know, Pastor Mike had to go on, on long-term disability and really remove himself from being at the church. And the elders here at Westland Alliance Church, you know, had to f- had to figure something out. Uh, Pastor Mike had been here 31 years and uh, big shoes to fill and a lot of changes. And so one of the things they did was they asked if I could become the interim lead pastor uh, so that they could figure out who they were going to get to replace Mike and how that was going to go. And uh, again, I was happy I could take a leave of absence, you know, totally from my teaching and and start doing it full time. And I thought I was really enjoying it. I loved preaching. Uh, there, I loved preparing to preach. The studying was was great. And so I said, yeah, I could step in there and help out. And, you know, I think this could be a good thing. Wow. Fast track education to be a preacher. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. But I mean, there's other variables going on that just like you're not just at a, a church where there'd be uh, one pastor. It's a, a pretty sizable church. So for you to be considered as the lead pastor of a congregation of, well, I don't know what you guys are, maybe around a thousand or something like that. Like that's. Yeah, we've we've dropped since COVID, probably before COVID on Sundays, we were getting 850. Uh, we, we're, we're probably more in the six to 650 range since COVID now, but still a big church by Canadian standards. And your point to something that's very important is, you know, there was a staff here uh, that was very experienced and who was very supportive of what had happened. You know, there was some bumpiness at the start because I think it was difficult when Mike left and how he left. Uh, but, you know, if, if I take right now, uh, I have three staff, fellow pastors here at the church who have been serving the same congregation for more than 20 years. I mean, that's unheard of. Like, I, I, don't, I, I wonder if there's another church in Canada that mm, can say that. That's wild. And, you know, part of that is we had a Chinese uh, church join us and are part of our church now, and their pastor is part of our staff. But even before that, there were uh, two guys uh, when I started who had 15 years or more experience who were not looking at becoming the lead pastor, but loved being at West London and 
that was so key, them and some other staff members who had been in the position a while to, to that transition working. And legitimately, there were aspects of the job I had no clue about. You know, the first funeral I had to do, I, I'd never done a funeral before, you know, went to the guys, what do I do? Like, <laughs> I have no, I really have no idea what to do here. So a lot of situations like that. And again, uh, by the grace of God, uh, you know, all things considered, uh, <laughs> I was set up well to, to, you know, be successful in that difficult situation. I would say still, you know, my probably most significant weakness is staff management, you know, just in terms of not having to do that before and having to learn that and maybe having a personality that's not, you know, had never pursued that as a strength or or made me weaker in some ways because of that. And so having a staff that was sort of experienced and had been here a long time was crucial. And so I'm, I'm thankful for them and, and thankful that it worked out that way. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to about to run out of time, so I'll have to leave it at that, but thank you. Well, David, uh, thanks so much for having me on. Really enjoyed that. Look forward in the future if we ever uh, do this again. All the best. Thanks for listening today. A reminder that you can access any of our episodes when you head to the Culture at a Crossroads podcast. We do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. 